You are listening to the Parkview Church Podcast. To learn more about Parkview Church, including our gathering times in Palm Coast, Florida, visit us online at parkviewlife.com. Take your Bible and go to Galatians chapter number one, if you will. Galatians, kind of the middle uh, part of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 1. We're in a series entitled On the Move as we are in the most exciting season of recent memory in our church because we're getting ready just weeks away from moving into our brand new auditorium. Um, The sound and lighting and video company that's here, uh, they are here for two and a half weeks. They were here all week this week. They, I heard they installed all the house lights in the church this week in the new auditorium. So a lot of progress, a lot, a lot of progress. And we're excited to be on the move. And so I said, you know, as a pastor speaking to our congregation, what would maybe God have me to share over these few weeks to just kind of help us transition? And so uh, kind of the, the essential uh, ingredients or the essential elements of a church that's on the move. Well, week number one, we talked about how to be filled by and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Last week, we spoke about being consecrated, which means set apart for the sacred, expecting to experience the power of God. And then this week, I'd like to talk to you in a nutshell about one word, the gospel. The gospel. One of the things that I I enjoy doing is through my preaching and teaching, I enjoy hopefully giving you the opportunity to get to know me. I feel like I am blessed to know so many of you, but I want to be transparent. I want to be authentic. I want to be vulnerable. I want to just kind of share my life with you. And I figure maybe if God's at work in my life, maybe he'd be working at your life. So I'm just going to be who I am. And so you've gotten to know me, uh, flaws and maybe some strengths and just personality and characteristics. Um, But I thought I'd tell you a little bit more about myself uh, tonight as we kind of dive in and, and talk about the gospel, and you'll see how I'll bridge this in just a moment. But do any of you enjoy taking, like, or have ever taken some of those personality assessments? Anybody in here, like, enjoy that? Okay, I find that very interesting. And I don't know if I'm, like, at 53 still trying to figure out who I am. I don't know if I'm lost and trying to figure out, like, how I'm wired. And, and there's just kind of, honestly, I just see myself being weird. And so, like, I'm, like, trying to, like, sort through the weirdness and get to where the good stuff might be. And so I just, I enjoy these personality assessments. And uh, I'm, I'm not, I do them occasionally. I'll reflect on them even every once in a while. I'm not addicted to them, but I just find them interesting. So this kind of tell you a little bit about who I am. So uh, just kind of give you a, a snapshot of all my personality assessments. I'm a type A, seven wing eight, ENTP, sanguine chimpanzee. That's who I am. <laughs> all right. That, that's like, that's who I am. All right. A lady came up to me and she said, Pastor, she said, I'm an ITSJ. She said, I'm totally opposite as you. And then the lady said to me, Pastor Sanguines, you know, together. And so, so some of you get these. You've maybe taken some of those tests, but I'm a type A, uh, seven wing eight. That's the Enneagram. I'm an ENTP. That's the Myers-Briggs. I'm a sanguine on that whole choleric, sanguine, melancholy thing. And then that animal one, I'm a chimpanzee. So that's who I am. And, um, if you're ever looking for an excuse to leave, maybe there it is right there for you in print, all right? My pastor is a chimpanzee. That's, you can tell somebody I can't go to church there anymore. So, all right, so of all these assessments, I actually left one out. And the reason I left it out is because I've taken this assessment, and it 
feels more like an FBI profile than it does an assessment. There's a thing called the Berkman. I don't know if any of you have ever taken the Berkman assessment, but it comes back with like an FBI profile, literally like 30 pages long. Tell you all, I mean, like what you should do for a living. I mean, the whole nine yards. And I should not be a pastor. But anyway, the... the um, so anyway, uh, in this Berkman, there was one very, very insightful piece that I learned about myself. So uh, much of their teaching um, is on a scale of one to a hundred. So, you know, depending on where you're at on the scale, they'll tell you, boom, there you are. And th- so there's one area that's entitled change. So one is I dig my heels in. I hate change. It ruins me. I hate it. The other extreme is a hundred, and that is you never stop changing. You're an agent of change. You're all about change, okay? Now, the interesting thing about the scale of one to a hundred, zero to ten is exponential, and ninety to a hundred is exponential. So while these digits just move one, when you get to the ends, it's like extreme one way or the other. So in this area of I hate change or I love change, one to a hundred, I scored a 99 out of a hundred for liking change so how that's played out like i would go on vacation and the staff would be like oh no pastor's coming back from vacation he'll have visited churches he'll have read books he'll have been in prayer he's fixing to change everything when he gets back like in fact Derek came to me many years ago and he's like look most churches like when they are trying to like make a change it's like turning around a cargo carrier or a battleship he said that's not us. He said, we're more like, we turn not like a battleship. He said, we turn like a jet ski. So could you like slow down on the change? Could we at least go to like a 21-foot center console, you know, to where there's a li- not quite so much change, all right? So here's what, I'm telling you this about me because of this. We are experiencing a lot of change right now. And we're going to experience even more change. And if I feel it, as a guy who lives for change i've been trying to pay attention to that because i thought hold on i have hundreds of people that probably are not as excited about change as i may be in fact in just a few weeks you will not sit where you sit anymore it will change you guys sit here every week you sit there every week you're there on the second row every week i can go around right there you are third row center yeah i'm going around mark you got right there you guys take up the whole row you do it right there right there mark you and chip right there i can go in fact i know when you're not here because i know where you sit don't think I don't know where you sit. I see you every week. You're midget, right there. The end two seats. That's your spot on that front row. And I just go around the auditorium and I scan to see who is not right with God this week. And they're, they're not here. And I'm like, oh, not here, not here. Oh, there they are. Okay, good. And so, so it's, but you laugh. And then in a couple weeks, you're like, where do I sit? I don't know where to go. I don't know, where am I going to sit in this new place, you know? And that's just a small picture of all the change that's happening. There's a lot that's unfolded. Like, I, I mean, like, and there's a ton of change that happens behind the scenes from, from 
org charts and HR and databases and personnel and staffing and hiring and insurance. I mean, it's just like any organization. So, and right now, be honest, if you come, if you were seeing behind the scenes, you know, stuff, there's a lot of chaos in our church right now because there's a lot of change. Like we have added so many staff. I don't know if you're familiar with our story, but right before COVID, we launched a campus down LPGA Boulevard called Parkview Church LPGA. We had about 70 people go down and help start that campus, and um, it almost fizzled through COVID. And then we came out of COVID, and things began to kind of take off. We'd even had conversations about, was it going to make it? And um, so it started to kind of get momentum. And so I said to Andrew, who was our executive pastor here, and was splitting time, like, dude, you're, you got to go down there. We're going to just send everybody. We got momentum. You got to go. You can't be coming back here. You got to go. And so it began to pick up. And about two years ago, I'm like, hey, I think what the Lord's leading us to do is to launch it as an independent church because it was picking up steam. So we're going to launch it as an independent church. Take six months to do that. We kind of, 18 months ago now, launched it as an independent church. In the last 18 months, that congregation has grown from 100 to 500 in the last 18 months. And we praise the Lord for that. But here's some of the backstory to it. Five of our staff are no longer with us. They're down there. And those five staff were a part of our church for a combined 40 plus years. So to me, that's a loss. There are people that I love, mentored, cared for. They're gone. They're down. I say they're gone. But I mean, I, you know, it just changed, right? I talked to Andrew this week. He and I are getting together Monday or Wednesday. We're having lunch together. So we're in relation, but I don't see him every day like I used to. Then in the meantime, all that's happened down there. Then in the last 12 months here, we grew 400 plus in 12 months. So I'm like, look around Saturday night at 6 o'clock. This is crazy. 4 o'clock was jammed. Tomorrow morning, 9.30 and 11, it'll be right around standing room only. It, what God's doing is unbelievable. Well, we've had to hire a whole lot of staff, plus backfill all the staff that are down there. So it just means that there is a lot of change that's happening. And I, as a change agent, am trying to be understanding and say, hey, I'm trying. I'm sorry. We're doing the best we can. We're, we're going to make it better, and we're going to keep up with what God's doing and, and, and all that. And in the midst of all the crazy change, here's what I'm saying to you. There are two things that will never change. Number one, God is the head of our church. And number two, the gospel is the message of our church. Those things will never change. Greg's not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. The staff is not the head of the church. God is the head of our church. Secondly, while our methods and our management systems and our materials may change, all those things may change, but the message never changes. And the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to talk to you tonight about this message that will never change in a world that's shifting around us, 
in a church that's got all kinds of things happening, when you look around, you're like, I don't even know some of these people. And you, you I mean, I'm trying to learn hundreds of new people. And, and like, I'm like trying to keep up, and I can't keep up. I'm like sucking wind through a bamboo straw. It's just, it's about that far out of the ground right now, okay? So like, how do we do this? Let's just go back to what we know. That's never, in the midst of change, what's never gonna change? God's the head of our church, and the gospel is the message of our church. Now, here's what the gospel is. I'm gonna talk to you about it tonight. Okay, this is the gospel. It's understanding that God is more holy than we can imagine, and we are more sinful than we care to admit. Yet God, who loves us so much, sent his son Jesus so that we could be reconciled back to himself. Now, Christ's love is beyond all comprehension. And as a result of his love for us, he took our place on the cross and he satisfied the judgment of sin that was required by God now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ when we repent of our sin and make Jesus Lord and leader of our life we inherit eternal life now as a result of our faith we then live out the gospel in our life and share it with others so that they too can experience life change That is a whole encompassing definition of the gospel, which I have tried to preach that definition for the better part of a decade to just keep going back to our anchor point of what our message is all about. Now, if you are looking to summarize or condense that expanded definition, here's the shortest definition I know of the gospel. Are you ready? It is the great exchange. The gospel is the great exchange. That is, Jesus went in my place to the cross and he died for my sin. So I get his righteousness and he took my sin. And that is the great exchange. That is the gospel. But I submit to you, being able to define the gospel is one thing, but it is entirely different to be able to live the gospel out. And what I want you to see is that the gospel is not just theology to be learned on the weekend. The gospel is theology to be lived out during the week. I pray that before you go this evening, you will see the tangible, practical implications that the gospel has in your life every single day. But the gospel, it's not just that we need to learn a definition. The gospel goes beyond a definition. It is not a definition we learn. It is a life that we live. So Christianity is not about getting saved by the gospel and then going on. Christianity is about getting saved by the gospel and going deeper. So if you thought that the gospel was the diving board that launched you into the pool of Christianity, I submit to you, the pool is the gospel. We get saved by the gospel, and then we go deeper in the gospel. It is not just the gospel that brings us into a relationship with Christ. It is also the gospel that helps us to become like Christ. It is the gospel works for salvation, but the gospel is equally effective for our sanctification and our becoming like Jesus. And so that means that the gospel is not just to be learned, but it is to be applied. The gospel can't just be a definition that we know, but we must allow the gospel to saturate our lives and to penetrate our hearts and to be filled into our soul. 
The gospel is not saying a sinner's prayer, gathering some new principles, and adding some new rules. That's not the gospel. But the gospel should permeate every area of our life. In other words, not only do we come to faith in Christ through the gospel, but we grow in Christ through the gospel, so then the gospel becomes the filter of our minds, the gospel becomes the filter of our ears, the gospel becomes the lens of our eyes, the gospel becomes the guard of our mouth, it becomes the gate of our heart, it becomes the attitude behind our actions, so that the gospel is influencing every area of our life. I submit to you that the gospel should work as much in your house as it does the church house the gospel should work as much in my life as it does in your life the gospel should impact the way you love the gospel should impact the way you give the gospel should impact the way you serve the gospel should if it listen if you are cantankerous you have a broken gospel if you are stingy you have a broken gospel if you are unkind your gospel is malfunctioning because the gospel should impact every area of our life it should make you a better mate it should make you a better spouse it should make you a better child it should make you a better son it should make you a better daughter it should make you a better employer it should make you a better boss it should make you a better neighbor it should make you a better community member it should make you better in every way because the gospel doesn't just save us the gospel changes us and that is our message and we continue to preach the gospel and what i love is probably the first letter that paul wrote he started with the gospel now if you understand the new testament it's 27 books you got the gospels matthew mark luke and john which four guys talking about one guy they're all sharing their story from their perspective okay you like four guys writing a story about me okay that you each have your own perspective you'd have some overlapping stories but then you'd have some unique experiences matthew mark luke and john four guys talking about one guy jesus then jesus ascends back up into heaven and acts is the explosion of the church christ ascended church explodes in acts paul takes three missionary journeys while he's out planting churches and on his missionary journeys he plants all these churches then you come back after acts and basically the rest of the new testament is primarily paul writing the churches he planted and the pastors that he mentored we believe that the first letter he wrote was to the church of galatia and so we have for us in the new testament galatians and i want you to see his first words to the first letter to this early church so begin with me in chapter one and i'll read the first 12 verses it says paul an apostle not from men nor through man but through jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead that is the gospel the gospel means literally gospel means good news what is the good news that you and i have the good news of the gospel is the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ paul says to the church of galatia hey verse number one i'm speaking to you coming to you not as somebody put in this position by man i'm coming to you on the authority of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ verse two and all the brothers who are with me same is true of them to the churches of galatia grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ here's the gospel you ready again who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of god and father to whom be glory forever and ever amen verse six i am astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some people who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He skips the pleasantries. He skips the niceties. And he goes right after the gospel. Paul never missed a mention of the resurrection or the gospel. He always got right to it. In fact, this book, Galatians, is typically known as a book that presents to us the freedom found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians is really a book of freedom. If you would, it is the declaration of independence to the Christian. If we will know the gospel as given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will bring incredible freedom or incredible liberty. In fact, one of the things that Paul was trying to help them was to not to swing the pendulum, the pendulum to legalism or to swing the pendulum to license. The gospel, when known and understood fully, is about the liberty and the freedom that we find in Jesus. And so he's like, some of you have started to turn away to other false gospels. There are things that are being added to the gospel. But I want to take you back, he said, to what the gospel is at its heart. It is Christ Jesus, crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. That is what he preached. And by the way, if you think that Paul just preached the gospel to those who didn't know Jesus, (laughs) ah, you'll read his letters and you'll actually discover that he preached the gospel to Christians as much as he did the non-believers. In fact, in Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 15, so he said, so I am eager to preach the gospel to his brothers in Christ who are in Rome. He was coming to the Christians to preach the gospel. And so in our text this evening, out of Galatians chapter 1, there are just a few things for us to fully understand about the gospel. First of all, number one, the gospel can be mine because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel can be mine because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like I said, Paul skipped the pleasantries. He got right to it. He said, there's too much at risk. There's too much at stake for me to mince words and to waste time. Because Paul knew that without the resurrection, there'd be no gospel. Without the resurrection, there'd be no church. Without the resurrection, there'd be no hope for your life. And Paul knew that. See, he was aware that the seventh and final saying of Jesus Christ on the cross was, it is finished. And he then recognized that the resurrection of Christ from the dead was God's amen to Jesus saying, it is finished. 
And so Paul preached that death, burial, and resurrection. And we understand that when we believe in and accept the gospel story, we then actualize that great exchange. When we believe the death, burial, and resurrection, and we accept the death, burial, and resurrection as the way to have our sins forgiven and come into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, when that transpires in your life and my life, when we get the gospel because of the resurrection, that's when the great exchange happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now think about that. Let me say it again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So the great exchange is on the cross, Jesus took my sin. And when I, by grace alone, through faith alone, come to Christ alone, I receive His righteousness. Have you ever heard it said that you can't do anything that will cause God to love you anymore and you can't do anything that will cause God to love you any less? Ever heard that? It's a true statement. But I want to unpack it for you. Say, how is it that I could never have God love me anymore or never love me any less? How is it like He loves me as much as He can, He loves me the maximum, and that's all, and it's always going to be that way? Why is it? I'll tell you why He can't love you anymore. It's because He can't love Christ anymore. And because he can't love Christ any more than he does, when you become a Christ follower, you're in Christ. And now when the Father sees you, he sees you in Christ. He doesn't see Greg. He sees Greg in Jesus. And so the Father can't love me anymore. Now that position that we have in Christ, it doesn't just bring us to a moment of salvation. It helps us grow in our sanctification. This is where the gospel doesn't just bring me to Christ, but this is where the gospel helps me grow in Christ. And so when I understand that God can't love me anymore because he can't love Christ anymore, and that when God looks at me, he sees me in Christ, what that means is, just practical implications here, what that means is when I go to prayer, well then I can go to prayer like I fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. I can go to prayer like I defeated the devil in the desert with Scripture. I can go to prayer like I was sent by the Holy Spirit of God out from the desert to go into public ministry. I can go to God in prayer like I did. I, I, I turned water into wine. I I fed the multitudes. I opened up blind eyes. I opened up deaf ears. I caused the lame to walk and the dead to rise. And I walked on water. And now when I go to prayer, God sees me as he sees Christ. And I go in the power of Christ. I go in the presence of Christ. I go with the power of Christ. And I go in the person of Christ. That's why the gospel means so much. Because like he was dead buried and resurrected now i too die and when i die i die in christ and i must first die in the ground so that i can be resurrected to live the fruit bearing life in christ and that is where the gospel makes a difference it makes a difference in the way that i live my life it doesn't just save me but it changes me and we see that over and over and over in scripture personally i think that there's too much talk in church about what we can do for Jesus. I think we need to talk more about what Jesus has done for us and about who we are in Christ. 
Paul said to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This words will be on the screen, but listen to this. It says, now I would remind you, church of Corinth, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. So they're Christians in which you stand, in which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, which he's saying you didn't, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So I actually think Christians perform better when they recognize that their approval from God does not come from their performance, but through the performance of Jesus Christ. See, I ask you this, maybe a somewhat penetrating question, but how does God feel about you right now? I hope you only think about that through the lens of the gospel. Because oftentimes we think about how God feels about us outside of the gospel. Like maybe even you wrestle with that on your way to church on the weekend. Like I wonder how God feels about me after this week. And if you think about it apart from the gospel, you might come to church and go like, well, how was my week? Hmm. It was a pretty good Christian week. So it was a pretty good Christian week, and um, I'm kind of happy to see God. And I bet he's kind of happy to see me. But what if you don't have such a good Christian week? So I've talked to some of your spouses, and I know. <laughs> you don't have such a good Christian week. So then you come to church, and you're like, oh, man, okay, last week was a good Christian week. This week wasn't a good Christian week. So, uh, I guess he's not really happy to see me. Makes me feel awkward. I guess I'm really not happy to see him either after the way I lived. Do you see what happens when we get outside the gospel? We base it on our performance and not on what Christ has already done. But we must constantly remind ourselves and we must constantly preach to ourselves the message that the gospel can be mine because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, I can experience the gospel through the grace of Jesus Christ. I can experience the gospel through the grace of Jesus Christ. God only has one gospel, and that gospel is a gospel of grace. Verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 1. He said, I am astonished. That's a strong word, isn't it? Yeah, you, know, you get the emotion, Paul saying, I'm astonished. At what, Paul? What are you astonished about? He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What's the distortion? A move away from grace. That's the problem. Paul said, I will have none of that. I know what it's like to be religious. I know what it's like to have rules. I know what it's like to have requirements. I know what it's like to have restrictions. They gave me a list, checked it off, check it twice. But the gospel is not a gospel of works. It's not a gospel of deeds. It's not a gospel of effort. We made it very clear, he said. In fact, he said, I don't care if an angel comes from heaven and preaches another gospel than the gospel of grace. You let that angel be accursed. 
because the gospel is a gospel of grace ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast this gospel is a gospel of grace it is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone it comes from grace in fact john chapter 1 and verse 14 in a couple months i'm going to preach through that verse about jesus came and dwelt among us the verse says and he was full of grace and truth so it is a gospel of grace and that simply means that not only do we discover in the book of galatians that grace is a common theme but we'll also see in anywhere the gospel is preached that it is a gospel of grace that means here's what grace is grace is god's favor in your life when you don't deserve it grace is god's favor in my life when i don't deserve it right now i'm trying to spend most of my time in my teaching time with our 22 year old son trying to teach him about god's grace in his life i'm like seth remember when that happened that was god's grace do you remember when that happened yeah dad that was god's grace hey bud you remember this story yeah that was god's grace that is the grace of god you didn't deserve it and by the way i'm preaching to him and i'm going oh me oh me because i get caught up in this thing thinking it's about performance thinking it's about doing thinking it's about achieving no the gospel is a gospel of grace by grace through grace and so god had saved these galatians by grace but they were moving away from grace they were moving towards legalism and paul said i won't have it i won't allow it not at all and so he wanted to make sure that the gospel was the which is christ is the embodiment of the gospel and christ came in grace and truth full of grace and truth so if you took jesus and turned him into a story you got the gospel and if you took the story of the gospel and you turned it into a person you got jesus so jesus john 1 14 full of grace and truth then that means the gospel has to be full of grace and truth which means when we go out and we evangelize the city when we go out and we share the message of the truth when we go out and we speak on the full authority of god and we share the message of hope and redemption found in jesus we not only go with strong authority but we go with filled with grace that's why i love the fact that we're our city serves we're at emmanuel's closet like anytime we can bless our city and add life to our city and add life to people and be on a mission of grace that's what it's all about and we should be seeking the welfare of the people and the city where god has sent us to live and we should be a people and a church of grace in fact it's really impossible to experience the grace of the gospel and not ultimately be filled with grace yourself like i said earlier if you're cantankerous your gospel's broken if you're stingy you got a malfunctioning gospel if you are unkind if your way that you live doesn't line up with scripture there's a gospel breakdown at some point because the people who really believe the gospel ultimately live the gospel and so the gospel can be mine because of the resurrection of jesus the gospel that is ours is a gospel of grace and then lastly i understand that the gospel is the answer to all the problems of religion the gospel is answers all the problems and it is the answer to all the problems of religion um paul had 
superabundant zeal when it came to keeping hundreds of laws. If you'll remember, prior to Paul coming to faith with Jesus, in Jesus, and having a relationship with Jesus, you might think he was some like pagan lost guy who hated religion. No, he was actually extremely religious. He was brought up with some of the finest religious teaching of his day, and he said, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That whole religious group, he was an elitist in that group. So he said, through his preaching, my life got twisted up through religion. Therefore, I will not let the gospel get twisted up. Because the gospel untwisted my twisted life. He said, I was all about checkboxes, marks, hashes, do's, don'ts. I was a legalist to the hilt. But he said, what I have found in Christ has been so freeing. You see, religion produces Pharisees. The gospel produces Christians. The gospel can do in your heart and my heart what religion can never do. Religion brings slight alterations, but the gospel brings radical transformation. Religion brings behavior modification, but the gospel brings soul transformation. What religion can't do with your sin, the gospel gets to the root of your sin. So if we do not embrace gospel-centered living, if we don't keep coming back to the imputed righteousness of Christ, if we don't keep coming back to the wrath-absorbing work of Christ on the cross, if we don't keep coming back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, if we don't keep coming back to all those things, then all we're going to end up with is some kindergarten-level understanding of faith. All we're going to have is some entry-level understanding of faith. And we're going to end up, if we're not careful, building our faith more on religion than relationship. And when we build it on religion, we're going to end up with some moralistic deism. Where we're, where we're just about trying to do and be and accomplish and do this and don't do that. But instead, what we should be preaching, not just in our churches, but what we should be preaching in our own hearts is that we find our righteousness in Christ alone and we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's the gospel. That's how it works. I am not dependent on my deeds. I am in Jesus. And when God looks at me, he sees me through Jesus Christ. And so I come to the Father with the imputed righteousness of Christ washed over me. And I now come boldly to the throne of grace because of who I am to Christ and in Christ. But we have to keep going back to this. We have to keep going this over and over and over again because we don't get saved by the gospel and move on. We get saved by the gospel and go deeper. See, if my identity is based on my successes, when I'm successful, I'm up, and when I'm not successful, I'm down. Having an identity built on my successes will not work. My identity must be based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now there is an identity that can get stronger and go deeper. It's not up and down with who I am. It is strong and it is deep based on who he is. And so we must find a relationship with the righteousness of Christ and live out that gospel of grace. There are 
different types of balloons. I remember the one when I was a kid that had a, it was an oversized balloon and had a really big rubber band attached to it. Remember those? And you would, you know, just try and hit it, you know? And so you just pound it, pound it, pound it. And, and like, no matter how many times you did it, you wanted to do more. And no matter how fast you could do it, you wanted to do it faster. And so I promise you, what happened would be, no matter how good you were, no matter how fast you were, you'd end up getting popped in the face with that thing. Like, I got it. Boom. Oh, man. And then I'm going to try harder tomorrow. Like, I can do it better, longer, and faster tomorrow. So tomorrow, I start all over again. Boom. That is a great example of religion. I can do better tomorrow. I can go faster tomorrow. I can go farther tomorrow. I can accomplish more tomorrow. And you go, and you go, and you go, boom. And religion smacks you upside the head. There's another type of balloon. I'm not a great movie watcher, not overly familiar with, but I tell you one that I thought was really a cute movie years ago. It was old Carl when he was getting kicked out. And they were going to tear his house down. And his world was coming to an end. And all of a sudden, they just attached all these helium balloons to the crisis in Carl's life. And that helium balloon just picked that house up, those balloons, and just dropped that house back in the perfect spot. Religion is the balloon that pops you in the face. The gospel is the balloon that lifts your life out of its crisis and puts you exactly where you belong. And so it is important for us as a church to understand that while there's all kinds of change happening, two things will never change. God's the head of our church, and the gospel is the message of our church. And the gospel just doesn't work for those who don't know Jesus. The gospel works for those of us who do know Jesus. And we have to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we're not just preaching it but not living it. Because remember, it's more than a sinner's prayer that gives you some new principles and adds some new rules. It should be the filter of your mind, the filter of your ears, the lens of your eyes, the guard of your mouth, the gate of your heart, and the attitude behind all your actions. That's when you know the gospel's at work. Now, if you're here and you've never made Jesus and the story of the gospel is death, burial, and resurrection. You've never made a faith commitment and made Jesus Lord and leader of your life. Don't try and experience sanctification without first experiencing salvation. You can't become like Christ until you first come to Christ. And when we come to Christ, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about what I've done. It's about what he did. That wrath-absorbing sacrifice. He went in my place to the cross for my sin. He rose again the third day and offers eternal life. And now if by grace alone, through faith alone, I come to Christ alone, I'm back in a right relationship with God through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Some of you, you've been trying to 
keep up with religion and you thought that would get you to heaven hey let me tell you something about the the religion and the rules and the law none of it saves it just shows you you need to be saved and that's why jesus came and so if you've never entered into a faith relationship with christ you would just in prayer in a moment you would say something like this i believe such a beautiful story i just thought of this couple in the church invited my wife and I over for dinner this week he'd never been to their home he had a special meal that he made homemade from scratch best meatballs I've ever eaten in my life they invited us over didn't know it when we got there not only were the kids there but his brother was there brother going through some stuff in his life said pastor I've been watching you online I'm here visiting my brother. After the last service, he came to the floor. After the last service, I was out standing outside. And he came to me and he said, Pastor. He said, you know when my brother told you the other day that like he started coming to church and he didn't know Jesus not long ago? And then he told you about how in the kitchen he surrendered his life to Christ? I said, yeah, I remember him telling me that. He said, he's been trying to help me understand that. He said, I just couldn't figure it all out until tonight. He said, my brother's out of town at a concert. He said, I just texted him, and I told him, hey, dude, I just believed at your church tonight. And so if you have never, by grace alone, through faith alone, come to Christ alone and believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, don't you try and start with some moralistic deism where you're trying to behave your way in. You let go of all that nonsense and you come to Jesus and you admit that you're a sinner and that Christ died and he rose again and he wants to be your Lord and he wants to be your Savior and all you guys say to Jesus is, I believe. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Say, Pastor, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life where in some way, I surrendered to Jesus. Where I believed. I just came to him like, I'm done. I'm done. I quit. I give up. I need you. If you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, why not right now? Why not right now? Right there in your heart. Because the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. So right there in your seat, would you just say to him, if you've never done this before, in your heart of hearts, would you just say to the Lord right now, I believe. Right now, the very best that I know how, I believe. I trust in you, Jesus, and what you did. The good news of the gospel, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Right now, I believe. Help me to live for you. Forgive me of my sin and be Lord and leader of my life. I believe. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in a moment, I'm going to dismiss, and before I do that, I'm going to pray. But in my closing prayer, if you just believed in Christ, trust Him as your personal Savior, I want to pray for you and thank God for your spiritual decision tonight. Like others did in the last service, and others are doing the services tomorrow. I wonder how many of you right here in this service said, you know what, I just prayed that prayer. Never done anything like that before. I thought it was about what I did, and I see now it's about what Jesus did. And I just put my faith in Jesus Christ. For the first time, I believed I made him Lord and leader. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. Yes, that's me, Pastor. I 
trusting Christ and Christ alone today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's your spiritual decision, I'd like to just pray for you, not by name, but just in general, I'd like to pray for you in my closing prayer. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, you're not ashamed of it, would you just slip up your hand high enough for me to see it, and then you can put it right back down. You're saying, by your uplifted hand, saying, Pastor, I prayed and trusted Christ. I believe in him tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's your decision, would you just slip up your hand just long enough for me to see it? God bless you, and thank you. God bless you so much. Never takes long. People, when they make the decision, they know it. They raise their hand. I'm going to pray for you. I would like to just ask you to do two things. Consider this. One, I think like my buddy Michael in the last service, I think it'd really be helpful if you told somebody. Uh, just help solidify. I'll bet you got a, a, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a friend that's a, that's a follower of Jesus. And I want you to just tell them, text them, email them, call them, whatever, and just say, hey, I believed in Jesus tonight at church. I believed in Jesus. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. Just say, I believed in Jesus. And then secondly, and I don't want you to tell somebody, but secondly, I want you to either go to our prayer area down front or our tent out on the patio. We've purchased a Bible for you. And with that Bible, there's a little bit of information that talks about the decision you made. We want to give that to you. Please let us give that to you before you go. Just go by the tent or the prayer area. Now you raised your hand. You said you were not ashamed of it. You made that decision. Now let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those right now in this service that yes, I'm in with Jesus. I remember when I surrendered my life to you, Jesus. I didn't understand it all. But I knew enough to know I needed a Savior. I knew enough to know I couldn't fix it. I tried. But I came to you. Like my friends here in this service, they've come to you. They've believed. They've placed their faith in you. Now that they've come to you, Christ, Jesus, I pray that they'll grow in you, Christ Jesus. Because the gospel works not just to get started. The gospel works the entire way. Help us to be a people living out the resurrection, a gospel of grace. Help us to live that. Bless those who have trusted you as Savior. May they walk with you. I pray that this will be a place where they could continue to grow in their faith. And then for those of us who know you, may we never stop preaching the gospel to ourselves. And I just want to say to you, Lord, as we move, you're the head of the church, and the gospel is the message of our church. Those things will never change. We love you, but only because you first loved us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray and ask all these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.